Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Matt and Ryan were informed of our decision this morning. Um, We'll start contacting candidates today. Uh, ideally, the general manager would be selected first. But if we see a head coach candidate that we think is the right one, we're going to do what it takes to get him in-house. Uh, it's a difficult day because of the relationships uh, we have with uh, Coach Zimmer and Rick. Uh, we really thank them for everything uh, that they've done for our organization. Uh, they've brought us to a, to a new level. We're a first-class organization, a place that I think... Uh, uh, any coach or GM will want to come to and uh, we strongly believe we need new leadership to elevate our football team. That was George McCaskey, the Bears chairman first, then Mark Wolf, one of the owners of the Minnesota Vikings, half of the NFC North looking for a new coach and new general manager. Let's start with the Vikings. I, I feel like the Wilfs, finally have come to the conclusion and this is something that i have said from time to time over the past two years just good enough is no longer good enough it's not good enough to to be to be to be eight and seven to be nine and six last couple of games maybe we get in maybe we don't as long as our quarterback doesn't get COVID and can't play against the packers not that they would have won that game anyway but this whole idea of Let's just let's just stay in the conversation. Let's make the fans think we have a chance. They, they, they want to consistently contend for championships, and I know I know that that's a tough standard to live up to. But the franchise lived up to that standard in the '70s, and currently in their division, the Packers are that standard. And the Packers are looking at a future at some point without Aaron Rodgers, and unless they get lucky and find another way to hand the baton from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer to another Hall of Famer at quarterback, there's an opportunity to take over that division once Rodgers is gone. He could be gone as soon as this year. Who knows? And the Vikings now are ready to, to elevate the bar. And, and look, they've got great stadium, great practice facility, state-of-the-art. The Wilfs will spend money on players. 
you just need to have the right players. And I, I you know, I, I was stunned that Rick Spielman was fired after 16 years with the team, but I, it's what happens when you hitch your wagon to Kirk Cousins. Frankly, sorry, but that I think that's what brought him down because I think the final analysis is we blew it on this when we paid this guy way too much money. And even though he throws for a lot of yards and touchdowns, there's a ceiling on what he can do. Right. And that reinforce the ceiling on what the Vikings can do yeah I, I think so I think it does it is certainly a big part of that situation the Kirk Cousins deal how that all you know kind of I don't want to say fell flat on its face but certainly hasn't been anything special I mean they brought him there to be the savior of the organization and oh man he's gonna get us over the hump and of course here we are two years in a row where no things yeah we got one playoff win and got into a, you know the wild card game and had the uh, you know the uh the, the upset against the New Orleans Saints that one year. But then after that, it's two years of missing the playoffs. And I think you're right. I mean, I think that's where you look at it and go, wait, well, I was sold that that was just, you know, that's all we were missing. We we, we spent all this money on trying to acquire him. I mean, going to guarantee him basically, what is it now? Somewhere close to $150 million. And you're getting good quarterback play, but not superstar quarterback play that would translate to the amount of money you're paying him. And I think to your point, that's ex you said it right. He's really good. He needs a certain formula, though, to be really great or have, you know, be on a team that, that makes a deep run into the playoffs. He's not the guy that's going to carry your team or make plays that are off schedule or, hey, we got some injuries. We'll rely on Kirk this week. He'll make the plays we need to to get us over the hump for a week or two because we're banged up or we got guys out with COVID. Absolutely not. Nor does he have like the, the, the superstar, you know, magnetic personality either. So there's 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 issues there, and to me, yes, it does. Like it looks like that was kind of the start of the downfall for the Vikings and and where they are now. Not a coincidence that Stephon Diggs tweeted his way out of town the same day that Kirk Cousins got an extension. Not a coincidence at all. And that's going to be job number one for the new coach and the new GM. What do we do with Kirk Cousins under contract for one more year at a fully guaranteed salary of $35 million? And, you know, this is something that occurred to me yesterday when Golik and I were talking about Rich Passaccia staying as the coach of the Raiders. Because he and I both came to the conclusion that he should. Yeah. And I think you agree with me based right. on something I said earlier. But Golik said sometimes the right answer is staring you in the face. And, you know, I think back four years ago after Case Keenum – Comes in, goes 13-3, and three, wins the Minneapolis Miracle Game, gives the franchise its most exciting moment yeah. in decades. Right. And they say, we can do better. Yeah. We're going to throw you overboard, and we're going to go get Kirk Cousins and pay at least $10 million more per year than what it would have cost to keep Keenum around. I think yeah, that when you have a magical moment like that, and we right. saw it with the Raiders this season culminating in that epic Monday or Sunday night game that, you know, the, the firings yesterday took all the steam out of any full proper breakdown. We're going to talk about it more coming up in the show, though. But what a special night that was. Like, you got to keep Basaccia now. Right. And I think in hindsight, the Vikings would admit, the Wolves would admit, they should have kept Case Keenum at least for a year. Just yeah, see if you see can how it goes. And if you, and if exactly. you can't, if you can't, then move on. Yeah. But you can't. You just had something ridiculously special. That's right. It just gets thrown out the door. Because you think you're at a spot where you can do better. And that's fine if you do that. But if you don't do better, you, you can't ride that horse for five years. We've ridden the Kirk Cousins horse long enough to know 
that it's 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 time to go to the glue factory. Do they still send horses to the glue factory? I don't know. I, I don't know. I hope not. I've, I've, I was so I horrified. Think... I swore yeah, off right. glue. When I was a kid and somebody explained <laughs> to me that they make glue out of horses, no more glue. There's no glue. I'm not, I don't want glue anywhere near me. Uh, anyway, um, but I think you're that, right that's about not, you don't you don't abandon that magic that you had that year. That 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 to me again. I I, I know I argued at that time. Like what, what's wrong with Case Keenum? Hey, they were trying to ruin the magic of Case Keenum that year, during the year while he was playing well, and threatening him with oh, the Zimmer Teddy was Bridgewater. Never all in. I know Zimmer was never all in. So that that to me that was a that was a weird one. There's no doubt. And yeah, you just don't throw overboard that type of chemistry and what you had there that year. You know, again, Case Keenum, I know he's not a superstar, but he's he's still the things he did that year, he's a viable, you know, bottom half of the league starting quarterback with again the right pieces around where you see he could be successful. Has some of the same play he has more playmaking ability actually than a Kirk Cousins. His ability to dance around and move around the sub, the, the the pocket and do things Slide like that. Slide lateral. We we used to show the clips. Right. He'd 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 work his way, reset, work that. his way, reset, and somebody yes. would pop open eventually. Right. And that's where Kirk Cousins is not good at that stuff. He's not. He needs space, he needs room to throw. He's not a guy that's gonna move around, hop around the pocket and make some awkward off off kilter type of throw. That's not what he is either. So yeah, they lost a little magic or you know chemistry they certainly had there that that always was head scratching to me. It was apparently apparently yeah. the threat of being sent to the glue factory was one of the realities of playing for the Vikings over the past eight years. Here's Eric Kendricks, one of their best players, mm. talking about the way things had been up until yesterday. No matter how how uh, what your role is on the staff, you know you having a voice and yeah. and being able to communicate. Uh, you know, things that you, 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 you think could help facilitate wins. You know, I think just having that voice, you know, no matter how big your role is, is important to, to listen up and, you know, take, take, uh, take each other's uh, opinions into account. I don't think that, uh, you know, a fear-based organization is, 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 is the way to go. Yeah, that's very telling. And look, Zimmer had a style. He had a personality. Still does, still alive, still will end up somewhere, I assume, running somebody's defense. But it's that Parcells vibe. It's that old school approach where the coach is the emperor, the dictator, the czar, and he sets the rules and don't even question him. Don't even raise the possibility that maybe we need to do things a different way. I know it all. I make the decisions, and it worked to an extent until it didn't. And, uh, you know, I think that's what Kendricks is getting at. So. Yeah, we, we always notice that when a team fires a coach, the next coach is very different. Sometimes yeah. the polar opposite right. in a lot of different ways. I don't know what that's going to translate into for the Vikings, but you know, they've got to hire a GM, they've got to hire a coach. And and they fall into the Stephen Ross category. The Wilfs are in New Jersey. Yeah. They need a presence in, in that organization. They need, you know, ideally move there. Make it your base of operations. If you want this to be as good as it can be, you need to be there every single day. And if not, they better make sure whoever's in charge of the place brings the, the, the there's got to be an accountability. There's got to be an urgency. I feel like the Vikings, and, and, and it's hard for me to say this because Rick Spielman was great at what he did. But that urgency that comes from someone who's fully and firmly in charge, whether it's ownership or someone else who's fully and firmly in charge of the organization, that needs to be there. 
if they if they truly want to consistently contend for championships. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Again, I mean, yeah, I totally agree with you on that that sentiment. There's got to be some sort of some sort of element in that in the building. You know, we talked about it a lot last segment, but yes, not even that. I think it has to be the owner, but it has to be a guy that you know is deeply connected to the owner, like the right hand man, like I was saying, that's there every day. To where again, he's walking around the building and you go, oh, well, he's really an extension of the owner. You know, if the Wilfs wanted to stay in New Jersey, but you gotta have that type of presence. I mean, again, I'm not shocked by the 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 Vikings thing. I know you're not either. You know, I think it had run its course. And it was a good run. You, I mean, you said it right. Rick Spielman did a lot of good things. Mike Zimmer did a lot of good things. It's just they could never make it all work. It was always something was missing. You know, whether it was hey Zimmer coached well, but we're missing this part of the element of the the roster that we that Zimmer could take the team over the top, or it was the other way around where you go hey the, the team's good and man Zimmer needs to adjust a little on the defensive side of the ball, or they need to open up the offense a little bit. Just never could quite seem to get it all together to where, you know, to a thing you say a lot, could, couldn't consistently contend for championships, could consistently contend for being in the conversation of the playoffs, but at some point, you know, that gets old and you, you got to try to make a move in Teddy KGB style to go all in and go, no, we need to start talking about championships, not just getting in the wild card round. And the crowning achievement for Zimmer was to get to the NFC Championship four years ago. And I remember in the aftermath of that game, he came dangerously close to admitting he got out coached. And and his point was, you know, if we get in this situation again, I got to make sure that we're not quite so predictable. Things. In exactly. other words, at yet right. you know, seventeen games of film, yeah, and Doug Peterson and company cracked the code on the Vikings' defense right. and offense and figured out how to stop them and ultimately blow them off the field, thirty-eight yeah. to seven, after the Vikings took a seven-nothing lead. And, uh, you know, it looked like it was going to go like the rest of the Vikings games that year until it all fell in on them, in part because Zimmer got outcoached. Um, all right, let's let's pivot now. And and I don't know what I have no idea what they're going to do. I don't know what they should do. You know, they they have a lot of things they can they can sell as positives. Um, but you know, cap situation's not great. No, it's not. And you better have a you better have a plan for Kirk Cousins. And I, I hope the plan isn't let's go find a coach who really wants to work with Kirk Cousins. Let's go find the best coach and let the coach decide. That's what it is. And the GM decide right. what to do with Kirk Cousins. And if they, they want to go another way, so be it. If they want to give Cousins that last year and make him earn his $35 million, so be it. But uh, I, think, I, I think that the winds are blowing in the direction of Kirk Cousins finally making the Long last trip to the glue factory, at least in Minnesota. All right, in Chicago, they cleaned house, sort of. Matt Nagy is out as head coach. Ryan Pace is out as GM. There was talk about Pace sticking around with a different title. That didn't happen. The problem is, and, you know, I've been harping on this for a couple of years, that Ted Phillips has been the team president since 1999. He's brought the Bears organization three playoff victories since 1999. Here's George McCaskey, the chairman of the team from yesterday, talking about the effort to replace Nagy and Pace and Ted Phillips' role in that process. The decision on the next general manager and head coach will be mine. Ted has done an outstanding job as president and CEO of the Bears and will continue in that role. Our family has complete faith in him. He has persuaded me that with the pending acquisition of the Arlington Park property, and its evaluation as a possible future Bears stadium, 
occupying much of his time and attention, the general manager should report to me. Bill Polian is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame because of his success as a pro football executive, including his hiring of two head coaches, Marv Levy and Tony Dungy, who are themselves in the Hall of Fame. He is well regarded in league circles and has a lot of contacts. We consider ourselves very fortunate to have Bill assisting us in our search. Uh, boy, there's a lot to say there. First of all, Ted Phillips persuaded George McCaskey to surrender. Well, yeah, I think authority over the football operation persuaded him. I, probably a different verb would apply there, but it's the right move. Look, not they didn't go as far as they needed to because I think Phillips needs to be gone. He's had his chance. See, the problem is you get owners that don't know what the hell to do. And I'm not picking on George McCaskey or Virginia here. This is this happens throughout the league. They don't know what to do, so they have somebody there. They have that right hand man who gets way too much power and has zero accountability. Eventually, he's a member of the family. You know, I'm having coffee with him every morning. He's bringing me calzones from Paisano's every day for lunch. I can't fire this guy. He has way too much power. He's too deeply ingrained in the organization. We don't know what to do with him. We, we don't want to get rid of him. I trust him implicitly is what George McCaskey said yesterday. Sometimes, though, that guy's got to go. But at least for now, he's focusing on the new stadium. Not a he's not going to be involved in Right. He's not going to be involved in football, right. I, but, but but he gets to hire the next GM. Uh, after he hires the GM, then he's going to step aside. I, I, you know, let's go ahead and, and do it the full way and say he's not going to be involved at all in hiring the next GM. He's not going to supervise the next GM. He's not going to be involved in hiring the next GM. He's out of football operations, and I'm taking over, and I'm going to hire the next GM. That's how it should be, Chris. Well, that's how it should be. It's like how it should have been conveyed to a degree. I, I agreed with that. Yeah, I mean, the Bears fans don't want to hear that. Oh, wait, the guy who hasn't hired that many great people is going to be hiring another person here and then go back into just organizational duties that I don't have anything to do with football? Hopefully it won't be that case. Hopefully that was misspeak or or just you know trying to be gentle with a guy that they obviously have great respect for within you know the the, the McCaskey family and, and Ted Phillips. You know hopefully they'll lean on you know their own expertise and Bill Polian. Now again I don't know how much I love that whole aspect either. You know my thoughts about that. I mean again these these older GMs a lot of respect for Bill Polian. How connected is he to the game still? How much does he really, you know, how many different coaches does he know and is he really paying attention to the ones that are the right guys? Or is it just going to fall back into like the same old conversation, you know, where, hey, we're going to ask, you know, older GM who's been out of touch with the league for a while and wait, shocker, he's going to bring us some candidates from the old coaching tree that he used to be in charge of, you know, when he was in the league. Like that's to me where I just go, wait, be careful. You know, I mean, that because that's what happens a lot. You see that. Oh, the guy we hired goes back to all the relationships he had prior to the league, really doesn't tell us anything about anybody new or anything there. He's just going to go back to the guys he knows, and we're going to sell. He's going to sell them. That's to, to me where the Bears got to be careful. The McCaskey family's oh. got to be careful. Uh, it's just, a huge mistake. Hey, right. if, if you don't have the ability on your own 
through years and decades of owning the team and running the team to conduct your own search. If you don't have the contacts that you've developed with coaches and general managers and others around the league where you don't feel confident coming up with a slate of candidates, interviewing them and knowing who to pick and not to pick, if you have to hire a consultant to do that, then you should just sell the team. You've got no business being in the business. If you can't, because it's not all that complicated if you're truly in the business and you know what you're doing, you can put together on your own a list of the people that you should be talking to. And then you go talk to them and you make the decision on your own about who you believe is in the best position to run your team. Because when you hire a consultant, you are bringing to the table that person's biases, prejudices, likes, dislikes. You're going to hire one of his friends, one of his cronies, one of his friend's kids. It's You're buying into that, that, that narrow-minded view of how a football operation should be run because you're basically abdicating your decision to a guy who's only there for the purpose of making that decision. And then he's gone. See, it's not on him. If how, how, how many times has it ever happened, Chris, whether it's, and we can come up with the list. It's Bill Polian, Charlie Casserly, Ron Wolf, Ernie, of Yes. How many times right. is there ever any accountability for one of these consultants who come in and force their candidate onto a team, right. and then that guy sucks and gets fired, do we ever have a scorecard of, boy, no. let's see how Bill Polian's recommended hires right. have done when right. he works as a consultant? No, it's the perfect gig. They're going to pay you. You get to play kingmaker. And then whoever gets the job is indebted to you, so they have to take your calls and answer your texts, and you get to play puppet master a little bit. I get to tell them what to do. I get to feel like I'm still in the game. Look, I would not do that. If you want Bill Poland involved, George, if you want him involved, hire him to be your team president and have him stay there after he hires the GM and the coach so he's accountable yeah, for whatever right. mess he makes with whoever it is that he pushes on you to hire so he can re repay some debt or build a new debt where somebody's going to owe him something. It's a huge mistake. I beg any owner out there, and none of them are listening, but any of you that are, never do this. If you can't hire the guy on your own, sell the team. You can make good money right now by selling the team. You're better off doing something else with your time if you can't figure out who to hire as your GM or your head coach without hiring an outside consultant. No, I, I mean, I agree with that. I, I'm not a fan of the outside consultant type of thing. I, to, you, you explained it, right? That's exactly. We just see that too many times. I bet you if we kept the scorecard, we'd go, oh, it didn't work out for the consultant more times than not. I mean, again, I actually want to sit here and think about it and go like, I, in fact, I can't really remember a whole time, many times where it ever really did work out with the, this type we of would know if it did. We would know if it did of because course. they would be pushing be publicized. it. Publicized, right. Bill Polian's right. recommended coach and general manager right. has won two Super Bowls now. Yeah. And we never hear it. No. So it means it didn't happen. No, you're right. You're right. Instead, we're talking about, you know, hires that were made 40 years ago and a hire that was made, you know, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, and, and yeah, that's where I certainly question that, you know, again, I do think it was, I understand, of course, them firing Matt Nagy, a hundred percent, Ryan Pace. I get that all that too. You know, I know there's some out there that go, well, man, he made the playoffs two out of the last three years. Hey, the context of this is too, is that team was a playoff team, period. Probably should have gone farther into the playoffs. Probably should have had better seating in the playoffs those times. It wasn't like Matt Nagy was bringing a team that was like, we were like, whoa, they are a, they are a piece of crap. And somehow they got in the playoffs. No, the team underperformed, in my opinion. The defense was a borderline Super Bowl defense there at the beginning. I mean, they were dominant. They were a bunch of ass kickers that way. 
You know, the quarterback situation with Trubisky, that was a debacle. You know, yes, they missed out on the evaluation there, and I know that wasn't Nagy's fault, but, you know, never really did anything to, to make him any better, and we could see it really wasn't him the issue with the offense. We saw that again this year, you know, before Justin Fields got in. But, but that, to me, too, is, you know, part of the equation. I just had to say that part because I, I have too many people going, he made the playoffs. You know, to, I, I get it, and I respect that to a degree. But it's also about what was the available potential for the football team, too. We talk about the O-line. Oh, there's so many issues. Offensive line wasn't as bad as everybody tried to make it to be. There was, was a get-out-of-jail excuse free card there. You could see they got into running the ball last year. They got into it this year. They ran the ball. It just wasn't the approach. They were still trying to run Patrick Mahomes' Kansas City Chiefs offense with a team that wasn't built for that. So there was a disconnect there, an issue there. I understand them making that move. I don't understand the Bill Polian and consultant thing. I'll say that, and I'm going to be interested to see where the Bears go with this hire. Here's the last piece of free advice for the Bears, and they're definitely getting their money's worth. Think back to the original early days of Matt Nagy and Mitchell Trubisky. It was a bad fit from the get-go. Yes. Nagy didn't want Trubisky. Right. Nagy tolerated Trubisky until he could finally get rid of him. And good luck, good luck finding a coach who will truthfully tell you, I'm all in with Justin Fields. Good luck with that because you're, you, you know we're looking for a, a very precise intersection here of coaches that Bill Polian is going to bring to the table and coaches who are truthfully going to say, the guy you gave up next year's first-round pick to package with last year's first-round pick to trade up and get is my guy. You're going to have a very narrow subset of guys who are truthfully going to be able to say they want Justin Fields and don't embark on immediately an effort to undermine Justin Fields and move on to the quarterback that he wants. Because, Chris, we know that that's how the game is played. We saw it play out between Nagy and Trubisky. No, I, I mean, it, it's, it's probably the number one thing they got to figure out. You know, they, they got to be careful. You're right. No coach is going to be very delicate who wants that job about that type of conversation. You got to do your best to, yes, vet these candidates to, again, you're, Fields is the quarterback. He's the guy. You do got to get a, you got to find a coach that, that's going to go, okay, I, I'm going to buy into that. And you got to try to sift through the weeds there a little bit to your saying to find a guy that really does want to make it work and has a vision to make a work offense work behind Justin Fields. That's a big part of this. And that's going to be a big part of the equation, I think, is them finding the right guy there that, that is sold on that, sold on Fields to agree and going to build on what he is right now. They traded away first round picks. They can't just throw him out the door right now and he showed positive signs here and played well his rookie year to where you go there's something to build on with this guy we've covered all the new business from monday when we return to look back on a nutty sunday to wrap the 29 uh 2021 i just stepped into a time warp there 2019 <laughs> 2021 regular season more pft live right after this Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I will get down on this podcast mm-hmm. and kiss your feet okay. if the Pittsburgh Steelers make the playoffs. I'll get down and kiss your feet as well if Pittsburgh makes the playoffs. Kiss your feet. With your shoes like, on. Why would I even want that? First of all, I really don't want you to kiss my feet. But, but I don't I don't think kissing the outside of a shoe is the same as kissing a foot. Right. That's just, that's just I, my take. I hear you. You're right. And your foot's probably got a little hair on it and stuff, too. I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I don't get pedicures. Let's just say that. Yeah, so I don't right. think you want anything to do with my feet. Uh, oh, man. So, uh, I, did did you kiss Ahmad's shoes yesterday? I did. Ahmed, I'm sorry. Ahmed's shoes Ahmed's, yesterday? Yes, I did. I kissed Ahmed's. his curries, as we called it, because he was wearing, you know, Under Armour sponsors Who the podcast. About, I mean... But, so, but kissing a shoe is I meaningless, know. especially on the top. Unless you're being dragged through mud, it never gets dirty. Right. Unless somebody drops a hamburger on it at LaGuardia, it never gets dirty. <laughs> I know. Well, it could be dirty. You don't know. It's still dirty enough. It's down by the floor. All right? That was good enough. And, yeah, I, like you said in that clip there, I don't think he really wanted me to kiss his bare foot. I don't think that was like, oh, great. I won this bet. Now he can kiss my foot. You know, I, I got to – you know, put myself down. I made a bold comment there with the Steelers, and, uh, you know, I ate it because uh, I was wrong. Thanks to Mike Tomlin and him being an unbelievable damn coach. How dare you, Mike Tomlin? What are you doing instilling all this great culture there in Pittsburgh and being tough and winning games you have no business winning? Damn it. Yeah, here I am, Mike, kissing the foot. We th- I'm down on we my thought, knee. We thought that they had figured out the formula or that we had figured out the formula in Pittsburgh, where at home there's just some kind of crazy happening that takes over and they find a way to win no matter how badly they play. And on the road they get their butts kicked. That's what we thought was going to happen week 18. Hey, great, Monday night, beat the Browns, the big send-off for Ben. Now he goes to Baltimore and gets his butt kicked. Uh, they, they pull off the victory and they get to the playoffs. After having some time to digest it, how in the hell did they pull this off? Not just big picture, but how did they pull off going to Baltimore on the last Sunday of the season and getting the win that they needed? They just hang around. Just hang around. Hang around. Never die. I mean, again, I, I sit there and this, I don't want to be dis, I don't, I'm not trying to sound disrespectful, but we're sitting there. What was the game at this point? 13 to 3, 13 to 6. Baltimore's. Inside the ten yard line, you're going 10-6, right? At that point, it might have been ten three. I think even at that point, where it's they're inside the in the 10, 10, 10 yard line, and you're thinking here they're going to put the game away. You know they're they're running the ball at will on Pittsburgh. It's just it's just a matter of time. Throws a bad interception in the end zone, forcing the ball to Mark Andrews. 
You know, had the fumble early on in the football game. You know, it's it's hard to put your finger on it exactly what Pittsburgh has done. You know, one, yes, they're tough. They don't give up. Tomlin has instilled this this is like, so what if you get knocked down? You're going to get back up, and we're going to keep swinging attitude with their football team. But, I mean, not only was I sitting there in the first half of the game the other day going, well, the Ravens are going to win. They're the better team. I mean, I said that like seven different times over the last two months where I went, man, the Lions. Lions should beat them. They're out playing the Steelers. And then the next week I went, oh, my gosh, the Steelers against the Chargers. I mean, Justin Herbert's going up and down the field. It's a disaster. And then the week after that, it was Joe Burrow. And, oh, my gosh, it's an annihilation of the Steelers. They are not good. And then it was the Ravens coming into town. You, The Ravens who, you know, again, in my opinion, outplayed the Steelers that day. Lamar Jackson played poorly and missed some opportunities there. The Vikings game blown out. And, like, have the comeback to make it competitive. The Titans kind of crap down their leg and turn the ball over and do stuff like that. And you go, wow, they won the game. They were kind of outplayed. The Titans had it, but they did it. The Chiefs game, blowout. The Browns asleep at the wheel. And now this game, it's just, I, I, Mike, I don't even know. I can't even give football X's and O's, like, credence to the conversation. It was really guts and will. I'm sorry to talk so long. It That's just right. amazed. But th- yeah. this is where X's and O's and analytics and everything yeah. unrelated to actually putting on the pads, putting on the helmet, going out there and playing football one snap after another and mustering the will to win. That's what makes them dangerous. And I know they got blew out by the Chiefs and they're the seventh seed and yeah, it'll probably be a blowout on Sunday night. But I uh, can we really speak with confidence that the Steelers are walking into a buzzsaw here. If I was a Chiefs fan, I'd be very nervous about a team that has a vibe that goes like this. We got no business being here. We never should have made it. That game Sunday night should have ended in a tie. It was going to end in a tie, and we were going to be left out. And our quarterback is done after this year. He's got nothing to leave in the tank. We can just go out and play loose and free. And I remember a Steelers team in 2005 that had a similar vibe, although it was Jerome Bettis, not Ben Roethlisberger, who was wrapping up his career. They they entered as the sixth seed. They had no business being there. Their offensive line was complete and total crap, worse than it is now, far worse than it is now. Oh, and they just strung together wins at Cincinnati, at Indianapolis, the best team in the league that year, at Denver, and then they went to Detroit and won the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that's going to happen. All I'm saying is, if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm nervous about what's starting to cook up in Pittsburgh. Right I, I now. hear you. I hear you. You know, this is where Tomlin's a great coach. I mean, this is where he's a great coach. And they had no business being 11 and 0 last year. They had no business. They have no business being in the playoffs right now. They don't. I, I, I still, I'm going to sit here and still say it. I don't even care. I, but it know. makes them dangerous in the playoffs. That's my point. It does make the them dangerous. No it does the make them dangerous. them dangerous. No, I know. They're, they're they the yes. I hear you. They are going to get beat this weekend. They are going. I I will be shocked if they don't get dominated. All right. I'm going to say it once again. I'm going to double down. I just don't see the talent on the football team. The run defense is horrible. I, I just don't get it. I don't. It's amazing they're here where they are. Who's and going to run the ball for the Chiefs? Uh, Who's going to run the ball for the Chiefs? Well, they, they're running the ball decently here. We yeah. saw, you know, Gore again last week. He did well. McKinnon did well. You know, it's not about that. It's so they can pass protect. They can do that. I don't see how the Steelers do it. I think they were very fortunate and things fell the right way. 
Ravens team that fell apart with injuries. The Browns falling apart, had the COVID, lost that game the week before that knocked them out of the playoffs, basically. They got lucky to play you know, the Browns in a game where it ended up meaning nothing for them on a Monday night. So that was a big gift. I mean, certainly, I just don't see it. I'm calling it now, and maybe I'll kiss your feet at the Super Bowl if we got to do it. If they beat the Chiefs, I'll kiss your feet with your shoes on at the Super Bowl. They're going to lose by 10 points or more in this football game. I'm just saying it now, all right? I'm telling you, I'm having a hard time with this one. I'm having a hard time with this one, and we've got that game on Sunday night. I'm having a hard time with this one because – I'm just having a hard time with it. Yeah, because you're pasta just, and meatballs, uh, Steelers. You're, it's cooking yeah. up. It's cooking up. It's starting to cook. It's starting to churn. Uh, all right. Uh, well, we don't have to worry about the Chargers winning in the playoffs or losing in the playoffs because there will be no playoffs for LA's B team. And uh, one, one question, and Golik and I talked about this a lot yesterday. I've thought about it from the Raiders' perspective because they definitely were landing the plane on a tie. They definitely, the vibe that was emanating from Allegiant Stadium in the final minute of overtime was that that both sides were settling in for the fact that they're going to have the tie. And then with 38 seconds on the clock, Brandon Staley calls the timeout. He claims that he wanted to get the right personnel on the field to play run defense. Well, he needs to revisit the quality of his personnel to play run defense. Is he getting unfairly criticized for puncturing that bubble that seemed to be inflating its way toward a tie and both teams in the playoffs, Chris? Well, I, I don't agree with everybody criticizing the last this last decision. You, it's fair to criticize Brandon Staley. I mean, again, he's a defensive coach. The defense is crappy. There's no toughness to the team. They can't run the ball. It's way too much. On the, let's just hope Herbert throws lasers everywhere. Too much of that. The fourth down, going for it. You know, again, I know everyone's going to go, well, they were six out of seven. They had to go for the last few. They had to. There was no decision. I do look at, you know, stupid decisions like going for it on fourth and one when you're down 17 to 14 on your own 19-yard line. And guess what, Mike? The analytics say it was the right decision because I've never seen the analytics be wrong. Can somebody at one time to me point to me and say, the analytics actually were wrong. It says wrong. I've never seen it wrong. Every time it gets done, whether it was right or wrong, and people come back to me and go, See, well, the analytics actually said to go for it. Uh, that's never wrong. Never. I do think he's being unfairly criticized for the last play. I do. Now, like to your point, I don't think the Steelers were going to risk any, doing anything, you know, uh, uh, aggressive on the offensive side of the ball. I do think they were getting ready to run the ball off the weak side to the left there, and we're going to gauge where they went, you know, as far as how far they got. If they got a three-yard gain, then I doubt they would have kicked the field goal. They might have just gone, it's a tie, and we're going to the playoffs. They got a 10-yard gain, okay? And then I think they went, all right, now it's the risk of the reward is worth it. Do we really think they're going to block the field goal and return it? That happens very rarely. All right, and the reward is if we win this game, we don't have to go to Kansas City, who we know we match up horribly against in in the wild card round. So, therefore, the Raiders kicked it. But I don't think this really changed anything. I think people are unfairly criticizing Staley as it comes to this decision. I think it's fair to criticize a lot of other things he did, but I do think they were going to run the ball off the weak side no matter what and gauge, gauge the situation as far as according to how many yards they got on that run right after that. That right, makes but it was still kind of all. It was. A, yeah. It does, but but I feel like it was moving toward both sides accepting that it wasn't going to be close enough when it was all said and done 
to try a field goal. And I think 50 yards would have been the dividing line for I, I think it's about that too, right. 50 right. or more, he wouldn't have done it. But um, I, and I got two points. As it relates to the Raiders, I'm not so sure that – that it's a clear distinction to get Cincinnati on Saturday after playing 70 minutes on Sunday night. You get Cincinnati at Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern versus the Chiefs with an extra day to prepare and rest and heal and recover. You know the Chiefs better than anyone. And the Bengals went to Las Vegas and won 32-13. I know it was weeks ago, but they, they still did. So it's not like they're walking into a cupcake uh, type of a situation in Cincinnati. Either way, they had to go on the road. And I don't know how much of that Rich Basaccia was even thinking about because who the hell has ever been in that situation before where you have all these different factors that are playing out in your brain as you're trying to figure out what is the right decision to make. But but let me say this, because something occurred to me as you were talking about analytics. Yeah. What, this, what this ultimately comes down to, the whole analytics debate, it's, it's a question of objectivity versus subjectivity. And Brandon Staley is committed to coaching with objectivity. Now, objectivity is his friend because there's a formula for everything. Right. And I'm not denigrating it by yeah. saying that. There is. Yeah. There's a chart for everything. Right. If you are committed to coaching football and approaching football in an objective manner, you don't need years of experience. You don't need the pasta and meatballs that may develop after decades and decades and decades of iterations and games and opportunities like a Bill Belichick has. And I mentioned Belichick for one important reason, because the first thing that I thought of when I considered the whole timeout or no timeout when there were 38 seconds left in overtime was what Bill Belichick did at the end of Super Bowl 49. Back when Brandon Staley was on his way from James Madison to John Carroll, I think, which just shows he, did, he doesn't have the experience that Bill Belichick has. Yeah. Belichick, in the moment that the clock was ticking on the Seahawks and everyone was thinking, why are you not taking a timeout so you have an opportunity to score when the Seahawks inevitably score here? Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? There was nothing objective that was driving Bill Belichick's thought process. It was subjective. In the moment... 40-plus years of coaching, yeah, he sensed something from the other sideline that told him this vibe that has developed, the tick and the tick and the tick, and they're moving toward doing something that maybe is going to be a mistake, that maybe is going to entail a formation that we're going to spot, that they're going to leave an underbelly exposed here because they're going to lose sight of something as this ticks and ticks and ticks, and it worked. And it was based on his pasta and meatballs, his subjectivity honed by years of experience. That's really the question. It's not analytics because that triggers the analytics mafia. It's objective versus subjective. Brandon Staley made the objective decision. I got to get my right personnel in here for the situation. Third and four. It's not even a high level analytics evaluation. It's it's third and four. Yeah, they're going to run the ball. I see it in the formation. We don't have our best run defense out there. Let's call timeout and get our best run defense out there, even though it's clearly not their best. Uh, versus, boy, you know what? We're we're getting in. We're getting. He's Basachi is letting this thing go. Let's just let's just step back. Let's just step back because our better play here. Because we're, we're not going to score. Then we're going to get the ball back and score for no, crying out loud. No, that's not going to happen. No. No. They're not going to score. Let's just let this thing play out. They seem to be content with it, and and let's do that. That that's that's where the line 
I get separates you. objective and subjective. I get you. I get you. I don't disagree with anything you say there. I just uh, I think in this situation again, I do think the Raiders were going to run the ball on the weak side. The formation, the way the running back lined up there, they were going to do it. They just ripped off a run for seven. So right, and I do think Mike, there was enough incentive incentive again to run it on that weak side and go. If we get a good game, we're going to kick a field goal. I know you talked about like they lost to the Bengals at home. The game was much closer than the score. It was sixteen to thirteen with five minutes left in the game, and the 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 the, the Bengals went on a long tough drive to get in the end zone, and then Carr threw an interception the very next drive, and the game looked a little crazy. They had a two play twenty seven yard touchdown drive, so then the game went whoa. They they looks like they blew them out, and they didn't. I do think there's enough incentive though. You if you do have that positive run, you kick the field goal because you don't want the Chiefs. I mean, they literally knew after the first drive of both Chiefs games, like, whoa, we have no chance. And to me, that's why if you do have that positive game, you kick the field goal. I understand what you're saying with Staley there. I just don't know if it necessarily would have changed a whole lot uh, as far as how the outcome is, is, is or the, the, the way we're evaluating Staley, I guess is what I should say. Unfortunately, we don't get to see Justin Herbert in the playoffs yep. and his performance in that game, one of the all-time great regular season performances, and that is not hyperbole, that is not exaggeration. He was spectacular in the fourth quarter. That's all lost in the sauce, it's Amazing, unfortunately, but hopefully remember what we saw that night. I'll never forget the game that capped the 2021 regular season. Let's take a break. The game that capped the 2021 college football postseason played out last night. We'll talk about that for a little bit when PFT Live continues right after this. So hot. There's still that defect in the Nick Saban coaching legacy. It's that he failed at the NFL level. And we can't forget that no matter how many national championships he wins. Well, are you really else's fault? going to die on the hill of Nick Saban not a good Yeah, I am. Today? I am. This is what I believe. And I've believed it for a long time. And you drew it out in me today, you turd. Woo! So hot. Uh. That was almost one year ago today. Yes, it was. I guess that was after Nick Saban won his latest national championship. Apparently. apparently. Which continues to be his latest national championship because he lost last night. Oh, look at you dropping it in. Oh, what a shame. My my wife and I have this this thing. It's, It's funny. Let me peel back the curtain for a minute. She thinks that I should never criticize Nick Saban in any way, shape, or form because he's a great West Virginia. Exactly. I'm shocked that you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. Apparently. That doesn't, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't count in my book. I don't care where you're from. If you're an ass, you're an ass. And he's an ass. That's my opinion. He's an ass. But he wins. He wins. Good thing he's not the coach of the Dolphins now or he would have gotten fired yesterday for being an ass because the relationships aren't up to stuff, <laughs> even though he's a great football coach. Uh, but Georgia pulls off the victory. Kirby Smart, the head coach, finally finally uh, turns the tables yeah. on Nick Saban and gets the victory. It was a fun game. I watched all of it. I mean, it was boring as hell for the first three quarters, but the fourth quarter made up for it. Yeah, great. And I fell asleep in the fourth quarter. That's what I, I just can't even believe it, Mike. Like, I fell asleep, like, at I, – it was 13-12, and Georgia was driving to go score a touchdown. And I woke up, and the TV was on because I had – and it was one of those nights, hey, it's no Monday night football. Got into bed a little early. Hey, I'll watch the game in bed. The wife wanted to go to sleep early. And I woke up and Georgia was celebrating. 
And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I missed the fourth quarter. And, of course, I've seen some of the plays and highlights of the fourth quarter. Good for Georgia. That's all I could say. I will say I thought they would win the football game. I think I texted the group that last night. You know, hey, they were the more talented team. It was their year. Alabama's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be a young, hey, we're a year away type of football team. But that Georgia defense is as good as any college defense I've ever seen. You know, again, that's an Alabama team. Yeah, it's young or whatever, but it's still got a lot of weapons. Uh, yeah, good for good for Kirby Smart and spreading the wealth in college football a little bit in Georgia. And our great colleague Maria Taylor, who's such a Georgia Bulldogs fan. Now we don't have to hear her complain and cry and and worry about you know Alabama all the time. <laughs> Speaking of spread the wealth, it is good that this name, image, and likeness reality has given players a chance to make some money. But I still, especially when you see last night, the buildup feels like a Super Bowl. It is criminal that the players don't get paid. It is criminal that they don't get a piece of the billions of dollars that the sport generates. And I really do have a problem with that. And hopefully we're moving toward a place where they not just, oh, you can go out and make money off of your name but you're getting a piece of what is coming in from this machine that is college football. All right, uh, speaking of getting a piece of the action, how about this parlay that was wagered through points bet? Marco, turn down a $608,000 cash out with Georgia as the final leg of the money line. He said, no thank you, I'll let it ride. I suspect that whatever havoc was wreaked on his digestive system during the four hours of the game was not worth the extra six hundred grand, but he got the extra six hundred grand and cashed out at one point two million with Georgia winning. Let's take a break. Uh, I bet he was scared a few times during the game. When we return right after this. We're backed up. I want to get room. We're going to push it on forward. I wasn't going to live through what happened last last week in Chicago. So we're going to give ourselves room for the punt. We did that. We gave ourselves room for the punt. We protected it. We covered well. We played the field position situation I want to play. We held them on the next drive. And that's the way we want to go ahead and play that. Now, do we want to do that all the time we're backed up? No, but that was a situation of the day with where we were. And I want to make sure that, you know, the things that we had issues with last week in Chicago, that that was not going to repeat itself. Yeah, it's important to use an unprecedented strategy when trying to win a meaningless Wake 18 game and to not trust your special teams to actually get off a punt. we got to get a few extra yards. We're on the three. We better get to the five. I, mean, I, I feel like he's trying to get fired. I feel like over the last 10 days, he's morphed into George Costanza trying to ditch the Yankees for the Mets, dragging around the Super Bowl trophies from the from the bumper of his car, running around in a flesh-colored bodysuit, whatever it takes to get fired. It's just bizarre to me, Chris. And look, here's what I think is going to happen. Here's what I think is going to happen. And the key for me came from the announcement that Dave Gettleman is retiring, and he's informed ownership in recent days that he's going to retire. Get out of here with that. That's a lie. They've known for weeks that he's out. Here's what I think is going to happen. The Maras, who primarily run the team, I know Steve Tisch is involved, but the Maras run the team. They want to keep Joe Judge, but they don't want to be the ones to come out and say we're keeping Joe Judge. So they're delegating it to the next GM. So the next GM is going to be somebody who will keep Joe Judge. That's going to be one of the implicit requirements for getting the job. You have to be a Joe Judge guy or you're not getting the job. We've yeah. seen this coming for weeks. Right. We've seen it We've coming for months. It. We've talked about it's it. It's yeah. now playing out. Right. It's now playing out. They're, they're going to hire a general manager who will keep Joe Judge. 
and it's the general manager's decision. It's not ours. Don't put, don't put a caricature of us on the back page of the New York Post. It's not John Mara making the decision. It's the next GM making the decision. Yeah, uh, Mike, I don't disagree with you there. I don't. I'm not, you know, you know, I love the Giants. I love the Mara family, and I'm, I stick up for them. But I, I do. It does look like that. You know, that that's what it does look like on the outside looking in. And, you know, yeah, we've, we've talked about this for a month. That's where I, I, I expect them to keep Joe Judge. And that's where I get back into, like, I do think they got to hire a New England type of guy to go up there and be the GM to make, you know, for one, listen, you know, a guy like Monty Austin Ford from the, from the Tennessee Titans, I know a guy like that who I know is getting some interviews and some, some consideration for GM jobs. He worked in New England. He'll understand again. To me, that's a win-win. Okay, yeah, if you're the Giants and the Mara family, you can bring a guy like that. He's going to understand Joe Judge, how he works, the New England way. And then even if it doesn't work, and okay, now we got to get, get rid of Joe Judge, you got a guy that, you know, has been in a tried and true evaluation system that is going to instill that into your organization. You'll be able to build on that for the future anyways. So if that's the direction they've already decided they want to go, Joe Judge, head coach, to me, that's the next move you got to go. You got to hire somebody that's going to have some sort of knowledge of Joe Judge or understand what he wants as far as total organizational picture to make that work. All right. One last thing, Mike, and I, and I want to make this too. Again, Joe Judge has messed some things up here the last few weeks. There's no doubt. Whether it's the press conference or even the way that play call there the other day on third and nine. You know, again, I don't the optics matter, perception matter, and that's to me where Joe Judge, again, who I'm a defender of, I know, has dropped the ball. Third and nine, hey, the offense is crap. I mean, they're crap. They couldn't do anything. So he's trying to play a game where they can maybe win the game 9-6 to six because he's been stuck with a crappy quarterback he had to play and Jake Fromm, a horrible offensive line where they can't even, he can't trust that they can run the ball up the middle with that offensive line and get positive yards. That's how bad they were in the first half. Yeah. So that's where I defend him too, but you also need to know that the optics of you running a quarterback sneak on third and nine, people are going to jump on that right now. you got to do something else for your own butt. To save your own butt in this situation because perception becomes reality, as we know, in this league. And that's, yeah. to me, where he dropped the ball uh, in, a, in, a, in a way there. Because so what if they block the punt? You don't look like an idiot if they block the punt. You look like an idiot for running this reverse flying v Right. You give a social to, meme, social yeah, media look, meme to start. Yeah, exactly right. right. That, that's where it's wrong. The thought is right. They stopped them. It was a 3 nothing game. Washington didn't get any points. Everything was right there, but it's a it's the optics of it that are not good when, you know, there was some questionable optics around the situation already to begin with. Quick break, more PFT live right after this. Get off my lawn. Back when I used to deliver newspapers some 44 years ago, I got caught in that one morning, 12, 13-year-old kid, and all of a sudden it's cold out and it rains and it's ice everywhere, and I was crawling on my hands and knees across the main drag in the town I grew up in. That's how bad it was. <laughs> That's actual footage. 
That is actual footage from 1978. Well done. All right, goats in a bad way time, week 18. we got to move quickly, Chris. Who's your first one? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know how I, I got to pick Frank Reich. Uh, you know, it's really about the Colts in general. Of course, he's the head coach. But come on, you know, the way they laid an egg there, you know, on Sunday in Jacksonville, really, like, laid an egg. Like, at no point. You know, you kept sitting there going, wait, well, will they get some momentum and turn it around? Oh, maybe they'll get a little momentum and turn it around here. I mean, that's really all you hope for. It wasn't even realistic. It was really just off based off of the evidence we saw this year. The game we were seeing in front of our face was Jacksonville's controlling the football game. They're dominating the football game. And then add on to that, then it became, whoa, we're losing, and now Carson Wentz, you know what that means. It's every play is the last play of the game, and I got somebody hanging on me, and I'm going to try to throw a shovel pass down the middle of the field. Oh, fumble. You know, I'm going to fa- force a ball and interception. So the Colts will be the Frank Reich, you know, goats in a bad way to lead off my draft. A quick one for me, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but for the reasons we spent the first 50 minutes of the show discussing, and it ties enough to Week 18 because his team swept the Patriots, Stephen Ross, yeah. goat in a bad way yeah. for firing Brian Flores. All right, give me one more, real quick. Uh, I, I guess I'm I'm gonna go with mm, I'm, I'm you stole my next one. I'm gonna go with Matthew Stafford. I am, you know, I, it's a little bit of like I want to go Stafford and McVeigh here to a degree, but it plays Stick together. Stafford, I got McVeigh. Okay, fine, Stafford, but you know, yes, the interceptions, of course, the one at the end of the football game. You know, again, that's why you were brought there to win those type of moments. You know, there's Odell Beckham Jr. He's gone. You threw the ball, underthrew it by 15 yards. And then added to that, you know, I don't think McVay had the confidence at the end of regulation on the third and seven to throw with Stafford because he was afraid of what he might do. So uh, I'm going to pick Stafford there just because he's, he's of course, a little shaky going into the playoffs here. I, I'm, I'm taking McVay, too, and, and also the official there who didn't flag him for being on the field. I'm sorry. If we're going to worry about guys posturing and taunting and all this stuff, the rules apply to the coaches, too. That's a foul. That guy there, number 22, we got to figure out who that is. He's laughing about it. Throw the flag and give them 15 yards of field position to the 49ers because that that's just not supposed to happen. And I don't know why it's okay for Sean McVay to do it. I've heard from people around the league like, why in the hell was that not penalized? That That's not supposed to happen. And you sometimes you get what you deserve. 17 nothing becomes a loss for the Rams. All right, we're going to remember one of the all-time great NFL badasses when this uh, Tuesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Hall of Famer Don Manor passed away yesterday at the age of 86. He wore the single bar face mask, and Chris, he also wore no chin strap. He had extra padding, you can see it there, by his ears to keep his helmet on. Old school badass, the first guy to generate 10,000 plus receiving yards in his career, really took off for the Jets in 65 when Joe Namath arrived. And he's one of only about 20 guys who played for the entirety of the AFL's existence from start to finish. Part of the Super Bowl three champions, although he didn't didn't have any stats in that game because he injured his hamstring in the AFL championship. But Don Maynard, one of the all-time greats. All-time. That uh, go out, find some find some Don Maynard highlights and enjoy yourself because he was a badass. Yeah, I mean, he really was. And he, in a time where, again, like wide receivers didn't have stats like that. They did not. And they weren't catching like, you know, 25 bubble screens a year and like another bunch of like, 30 dink and dunk passes. I mean, this is a guy, too, that was a down-the-field, like, explosive threat. 
a part of an offense that pushed the ball down the field. That's what's really cool. Yeah, people, you got to go look up his highlights a little bit and watch all the big plays. I mean, he's a baller. He really was. RIP to him, a, a true legend of the sport. And he had a great quote. You know, w- once he retired, he knew someone was going to eventually break his record, but he said, hey, I was the first one to 10,000. They could never take that away from me. That's so rest right. in peace, Don Mater. Yeah. We'll see you tomorrow. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.